Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Verga, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how you doing? I'm doing well. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing as well as you can in these odd times, but pretty good. I'm happy that we're sitting down and doing this together. We're back again, and in just a few minutes, me and Devin are going to stop making sense. And what that means is that every episode, Dev and I are going to choose a new Talking Heads song to analyze and ponder and let our minds wander and take us to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music. And we'll answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on this episode of Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. Devin, this episode, we're going to do the good thing off of Talking Heads' sophomore effort, more songs about buildings and food. It's the third song off that album. Any initial thoughts about the song? Coronavirus is ubiquitous right now, and it's hard to escape that mindset of relating things back to COVID-19. And just initial thoughts that I thought I'd bring into the conversation here is my initial interpretation of the song was it's sort of like about escaping into your mind, right, into a dream world. But just from listening to it the first time, right? In my mind, the weather never changes. Skills overcome unfavorable conditions, right? A straight line exists between me and the good thing. For me, the initial impression of the song was just someone who's having fun, is able to escape to their mind and sort of get away from the world and enjoy themselves. And like, how relevant is that right now when we're in this moment and our world is kind of frightening, kind of scary. And it's nice to be able to have that escape. Absolutely. I think we all needed a little bit of the good thing in, uh, in life right now. And, you know, it's interesting how you say that because I also feel that a lot, that there's a lot of happiness in the song, but also like getting super overly analytical into the song as I, I tend to do with these. I found that I really felt the song was about inner turmoil, noticing the turmoil, confronting it, and then finding hope in overcoming it in hopes that you're going to reach this good thing. And he mentions this unnamed good thing a few times in the song, but never really gives something super tangible to latch onto and kind of lets the listener fill in the rest. Did you get the same idea as that? Or did you feel like the good thing was more tangible than some abstract idea? Yeah, so I definitely thought it was very, I thought the whole song is abstract, right? Because my impression was that it was like, it's about someone getting lost in their mind, drifting off basically like a daydream. And maybe I'll save it because I want to hear more about your interpretation of the song, but I can't wait to introduce sort of David Byrne's words on it. But the one thing I'll say now is sort of looking forward to that is, although the song, and this is something we talked about with Talking Head songs a lot, it's this nice, easygoing song. Something about my first impression of it, right? At the very end when he's like, watch me work, work. Something about the song felt almost sinister. I don't know if you caught that too. I don't know if it's something change in the tone or the music itself, but it's almost sinister when he's saying, watch me work, watch me work. And it's almost like he's having a, I don't want to say a nervous breakdown, but he's obsessing over that idea of work, work, work. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of found that this person, this speaker, whoever it is, it could be David Byrne, it could be anyone that's listening, kind of compiles a number of perspectives that makes this conglomerate that turns into this anxiety that fuels the song. And just like some thoughts, some ideals that I felt were present in the song were Nietzschean psychology, Christian altruism and radical hope, a little bit of Buddhism, capitalism finds its way in there, and just a dash of mysticism I felt in like each of these lines. And as he says in the song, he adopts them and makes them his or her own and uses them in order to find or feel the good thing. 
you know, I really went like actually line by line with the song and kind of like pulled out each of those ideals. And I just like want to get your perspective to see if you feel like I'm onto something here or I kind of just, I'm going for the theoretical here, but hopefully you'll have some more concrete definitions of these ideals and theories that I can kind of latch onto a little bit more. But, yeah, let's yeah. hear it, man. Definitely. All right. Well, let's start with the first verse. So the first verse, it opens, it's like a nice consonant melody. Try to do my best to explain kind of the music theory behind it. It kind of opens with this nice pleasant chord progression, just two chords, G and E minor, back and forth. These two chords have a relationship. We're rooted in the key of G and we go to, the fancy name for this is the submediant or just the sixth chord tone, which is E minor. And they have a nice relationship between the two and you can kind of rotate around that note and find a nice home in it. So while it's bouncing back and forth between G and E, he opens with the lines, I will fight, fight with my heart. I will fight, will fight with understanding. And just like off the bat, in a song called The Good Thing, we open up with the words, I will fight. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm looking at the lyrics now because it didn't really hit me the first time because the song just sort of does begin and you almost miss it, even with that repetition. I'm not, I want to hear more about your interpretation because as of now, you're right that it is. <laughs> it's strange. It's a strange way to start a song called The Good Thing. Yeah, first thing that pops in my mind was Nietzsche, like okay. kind of a fight between like the ego and the id. He's immediately going off the bat, in order to get to the good thing, for us as listeners to the song, we're going to have to get through fighting, which is this first verse. He's gonna, we're going to have to get through fighting with our heart and fighting for understanding, logic and emotion, kind of two sides of the human coin that kind of get in a lot of philosophies and psychologies and religions pinned against each other. What's in your heart and what's in your mind? We talked about love last episode. These things, logic and understanding versus emotions in the heart seem to you know, get pinned against each other. And this is when I started thinking about religion as well. Most major religions are an answer for a lot of people that helps guide them to the good thing when they're struggling with their heart and their mind. I initially thought of Buddhism. Maybe I'd like to hear what you have to say, because I was thinking in Buddhism, it's established that life is suffering. That suffering can be overcome by following the Eightfold Path and all the pillars of Buddhism to get to kind of this clear mind, which is the next line, which is in my mind, the weather never changes skill overcomes unfavorable conditions. What do you think about that? Nietzsche and Buddhism for the first verse? Am I looking too much into it or do you feel the same way? You gave me a lot there. So you're going to have to remind <laughs> me some stuff, but I think you're, on a, you're on a, definitely making some interesting points. I mean, first to talk about that philosophy part, especially heart versus understanding. I mean, I think it's very interesting because the history of philosophy is defined by rationalism, right? Understanding, trying to find rational order to the world. And Nietzsche comes along at the very end of the 1800s, beginning of 20th century. And he's almost the forefront of the existentialism movement. And what the existentialism movement says is, listen, forget about this rationality. Let's embrace passion, right? Let's embrace heart. Let's try to pursue understanding through our experience of the world. We want to embrace existence, not looking for what life is about, but how do we live? How should we live? We need to live by embracing the world and put our own meaning onto it. Back to this heart versus understanding, though, interesting what David Byrne is saying here, or the talking heads are saying here, is I will fight, will fight with my heart, I will fight, will fight with my understanding. 
it's almost as if he's rejecting both of these philosophies, both the rational and the passion, because it's, we have this dichotomy almost that you have to embrace rationality, you have to embrace passion. He's saying, I have to fight with both, right? It's a struggle with both because maybe even going on a more metaphysical way of looking at it, more existential way of looking at it, is it's something to say with this necessity we feel of categorizing things, that things have to fill into rationality or passion. Nietzsche and Buddhism, they do complement each other while I'm forgetting because actually I think a lot of, there's been scholars who have looked into the relationship between Nietzsche and Buddhism. But back to like the Buddhist ideas. So I took a class in like Buddhist philosophy. And there's different philosophies of how you reach nirvana, right? How that you reach that state of inner peace. And actually kind of goes back to the heart and understanding too. Traditional Buddhism is it's, you have to learn, right? You have to learn and progress through the stages of reincarnation until you reach that nirvana state. Zen Buddhism, which picked up in Japan and China, was all about that it's almost a spur of the moment thing, right? They call it slapstick Buddhism, actually, because a lot of the stories of those are people reaching nirvana because some guy comes and whacks someone over the head with a stick as they try to explain things. He says, no, he keeps whacking them over the head with a stick, and eventually they just reach nirvana, right? It's like that aha moment, which goes, in, again, to that dichotomy versus heart understanding, which is a very interesting struggle here. And it's also interesting, too, because David Byrne seems to say, Let's reject both, right? I'm fighting with my heart and I'm fighting with my understanding. It's funny that you bring up slapstick Buddhism because there's the line of a straight line exists between me and the good things. I didn't initially think that the straight line would be a stick to be whacked with, but maybe that's possibly. I'm so fascinated that there's studies between Nietzsche and Buddhism because writing them down on my paper and notes and scribbling them on this lyric sheet, I felt like they were worlds away, but I'm happy. This is why I love you, Devin, that you're able to bring these two odd <laughs> nice thoughts one. from both sides of my brain and bring them together. That's fascinating. Do you have any more thoughts on that? I got to look into, and maybe I'll bring it into the next time we talk about this idea of the relationship between Nietzsche and Buddhism. Nietzsche's whole thing is basically about embracing the concrete world, right? Not looking for the next life, but embracing the world here and now and working to that ultimate state sort of similar to nirvana, right? That ultimate state of nirvana. So there is a, they definitely complement each other. That makes me feel good about myself. That, yeah. that <laughs> you were able to connect these things. Yeah, and then moving on. So that's, those are just the first two lines of the song. So we're in yeah. for a ride here. Next line <laughs> makes me fascinated. In my mind, the weather never changes. This one struck me because we've grounded ourselves in the internal here. We're already talking about the heart and logic. There's no hiding it that we're talking about in the mind. The weather never changes. I don't know. Is that, is that a good thing? I thought of Buddhism again, of some sort of nirvana or inner peace. But then I also thought that if the weather never changes in your mind, that's almost a curse as much as a blessing, right? Would you say that if the weather never changes in your mind using that metaphor, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or is that the nirvana? Is that the good thing to reach that level? It's interesting because that's sort of the line that I grasped onto in my interpretation that he's escaping into his mind, right? Daydreaming. What I more interpret that as, and I think yours brings up some good points, which I have to think about too, but in my mind, the weather never changes as in like, there's no rainy days, right? I'm in control of what's going on in my mind. So every day can be sunny and beautiful because it's under my control. So I almost oh. interpret it more like him saying that at least I can control what's going on in there. Again, that might come back to the idea that we're stuck in this global pandemic we're stuck in our homes and we're all looking for something to grasp onto so i interpret it as well in my mind i can control things right it's not raining there's no um 
virus going on outside. But yours is interesting too is, isn't that almost negative that there's no spontaneity, that there's no change? Yeah. I mean, we hope that if the weather's never changing, it's a beautiful 70 degrees sunny day. But what if it's raining and then the weather can't change? And to, to kind of help grasp us onto this, I have a bit scheduled for us. Would you like to participate <laughs> okay. in this bit? Sure. In order to understand it. So here's, here's the characters. We are a news team in our brains, in a brain. Uh-huh. And <laughs> we're going to drop in. You're going to be the, the mind weatherman. And yeah. I will be the other members of the news team. So are you ready for this? Uh-huh. All right. Take a Let's second. All right. <laughs> and rest assured, folks, the figure in the corner of the bedroom last night uh, was just the coat rack, as it usually is. Gets me every time. Uh, top story tonight is Cindy sent us a text last night with three, that's right, three monkey covering the eye emojis, followed by an Easter Island head emoji. We're going to send that over to Analysis for a nice three-hour rant on what that can possibly mean. I have no idea. But before that, we're going to check in with Devin D'Agostino with the Mind Weather Report. Devin, take it away. Yeah, thanks so much, Kevin. So here's your Mind Weather Report. Okay, so it's another um, beautiful 70 degree and cloudless day out here in the mind, as it has been for as long as we can remember and as it will be for as long as we can foresee. Um, If you look over here at this map behind me, you can see on the frontal lobe, we have another sunny day coming in. Same thing with the occipital lobe and the temporal lobe. If you could think of any other weather, that would be really great. I mean, sunny day, it's kind of basic. Not, Not insulting, not insulting our mind here. Listen, you think what you want to think. Um, I know you have other things to think about, like those texts from Cindy with the three monkey emojis. We're worrying about them, too, over here on the weather. But we're a little bored. Some rain, some snow would be cool. You know, clouds, a cloud. Does my life have meaning? Does my job have meaning? If there's no weather, what's the purpose of a weatherman in a world without weather? Do I even exist, or am I just a figment? Whoa, Devin, 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 that's coming on at 10. Over analysis is scheduled for 10. Devin, thank you again for another wonderful weather report. We've got a beautiful week ahead in our mind. Now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Devin, do you like books? Yeah, I love books. What do you like about books? Um, Reading them. That's cute. Uh, some people like books for the wonderful fantasy and wonder that they weave in their pages. Other like the knowledge that they learn from nonfiction books or historical war novels. But when everyone really truly is after when they're reading a book is the feeling of superiority that comes from saying that you've read some obscure book that someone that you may like or dislike hasn't read. Can you get behind that as well? Oh, yes, I can. I actually just finished The Master and Margarita. He's retelling That's great, Devin. And to capitalize on this truly universal human egoism, I'm presenting you inaudible.com. That's correct, inaudible.com. We have a vast library of books that has absolutely no text, has absolutely no audio to listen to. It's just an endless library of books that you can tap into and say you've read. Are you following me, Devin? Oh, yeah, Good. I mean, so here's how it works. You sit down, you open up inaudible.com, you pick a book. Give me a book, Devin, any book. The more pretentious, the better. Um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> All right, so you pick Diary of a Wimpy Kid or maybe something like Moby Dick or Faust. That's a good one. And you pick a book you've always wanted to. The better it is is if your loved ones have specifically said that it's on their bookshelf and you haven't got around to it. You pick that book. You press the start button. 
you minimize the tab, you walk away. The book is playing. You don't have to hear it. You don't have to read it. Three hours later, you read Moby Dick. What books have you been reading? I'm currently reading The Woman Destroyed. That's great. Just during this ad alone, I read Jane Eyre, The Fountainhead, and the entire Game of Thrones series. How's that? Is that cool? Am I worth cool. it yet? Yeah, that's what I freaking thought. So inaudible.com, use code I am, as in I am big pentameter. That's I am alone. I am alone. I A M A L O N E is the coupon code. I am alone. Uh, inaudible.com. And yeah, back to the show. Is there a weather reporter in my mind? Is there a weather weather reporter in the mind of the weather hey, reporter? Thanks, Devin. All right, back to the show. Um, all right, wow, wow, double bit, two bits back to back. Who would have seen Inception. that one coming? <laughs> I think I'm still uh, in it. <laughs> moving on to the chorus. So this verse where he's talking about these abstract things is very consonant, and we're playing in the key of G and E minor, and then we go into this very dissonant chorus where there's harmonies sung with the rest of the band and we've modulated to the key of d which is the dominant chord. Key. the key of d is your favorite well i'm happy we stumble upon your favorite key <laughs> because that's what we modulate into this seemingly distant dissonant chorus but the question that i didn't understand is why is it dissonant if we're in the key of d which is the dominant chord of g so we're modulating on that fifth note d and they have a strong relationship to each other so that we feel like we're going home and away and then back to home again. So when we go from G to D back to G, it feels like we've gone somewhere and come back. And a lot of verses into choruses use this chordal relationship between tonic and dominant. The talking heads do is they kind of invert it. So we're actually using a D7 chord. So we're using D, F, A, and C, or the, or the notes in that chord. But we're starting on A which is the fifth of the fifth chord. So five of five, we're kind of far away. And then we go through it so that we go from A to C to D to F. The verse is in G, and then the chorus modulates up to A, which is just a second above. So it kind of feels like we're taking a step up, and then we work our way up. And then in the middle of that chorus chord progression is that D, where we want to get to. So it kind of feels like we're Go, we've gone somewhere, but we're not quite in this comfortable place where we feel comfortable with the tonic and the dominant relationship. So I just found that very fascinating that they use an inverted dominant chord to bring us to a chorus, which is usually the catchy part, which is the ear, the nice to the ear part of a song, but instead they make it very dissonant. And they sing the lines, a straight line exists between me and the good things. I have found the line and its direction is known to me. You're talking about the Ubermensch. Someone, they know how to get to the good thing. It's known to them, and they found it. It's almost like a fountain of youth. I just read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Is this the Sorcerer's Stone? Is this the elixir of life that he's found where now he's on his way to the good thing? What do you think about that part? I mean, it's interesting, the music theory stuff especially, and maybe that's because, like I mentioned at the beginning, there's something almost sinister about the song throughout the whole thing. Again, it's a very, it's happy. It feels very free, and um, bubbly, but there's something sinister about it. And I don't know exactly what it is. And then when you relate it to things, I don't know, when I think of the fountain of youth, I think of Cortez going to search for it and all those conquistadors going insane, right? Yeah. And this idea of the good thing too. I mean, it should be a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily seem like a good thing. I have found, and I'm interested in this fountain of youth idea, just more of like 
the exploration, right? I have found the line and its direction is known to me. Like I know the secret, I have the secret map to it that no one else has. Now I'm getting the feeling of almost an explorer who's going mad in the jungle, looking for this fountain of youth, looking for like El Dorado. Absolute trust keeps me in the going in the right direction and the intrusion was met with a heart full of the good thing. Yeah, especially just at the beginning of the course, maybe excluding that last line, definitely seems this guy who thinks they're following course to something, when in reality, it's just, they're just still on that line. Who knows if it's actually there? They need to believe that there's the good thing at the end of this line, but there's no indication that it actually is. And it's fascinating going back to the music theory of it, is that they back up these intangible lyrics or hard to understand lyrics with this inverted chord that, of course, it's a natural straight line from G the tonic to D the dominant, but they've made it all inverted so that it's not as straight to the ear as it would be if they just played a D7 chord there. Before I started recording this, my mom was like, hey, ask Devin, what is better in music? What is the more favorable thing, the words or the music? What catches people's ears? What's the more important thing? I think the beauty is, is when they back each other up and you know, you have this nice funky verse and then we go into a chorus that is talking about these really deep lyrics about fulfillment and the human mind and the the music is backing that up and making you feel it before you might even interpret these lyrics what do you think about that well that's what i love about the talking heads right is their songs themselves for the most part are very happy they're very nice they're light they're fluid right they're just fun to listen to and the lyrics at surface level too seem very you know almost immature very simple words, a lot of repetition. But then when you really go and analyze, like you've been talking about with the actual music theory, the tones, the different steps they're taking, the sort of dissonance there, and then you look at the lyrics and what they're actually saying, you realize that underlying this is this almost, you know, this neurotic energy, this seriousness, this cynicism. I think almost you can't look at the lyrics and the music itself in isolation. They were written purposefully to complement each other. Yeah, and I think that's the Talking Heads are such a great example of mixing the mind with the body when it comes to music, just feeling so funky and groovy and having your body react to these songs before your brain does, but then being able to dive infinitely into them and find the music theory that backs up these cool words and understanding how these seemingly simple, happy songs are incredibly elaborate and complex and still after all this over-analysis, so enjoyable to listen to. It's really great. It's cool that you say mind and body too, because now I'm thinking heart and understanding. Heart, the passions are usually associated with the body versus understanding the mind. So there definitely is that dualism there. Oh, hell yeah. Um, which Nietzsche tries to escape, which Buddhism rejects dualism too. So your idea is, yeah. <laughs> nice. Here we go. Come in full circle already, and we'll just keep going around then. Something yeah. that struck me in this verse as well is, the line, absolute truth keeps me going in the right direction. Absolute truth or absolute trust. I kind of, I can't tell. Is it absolute truth or absolute trust? Absolute trust, yeah. Mm, interesting. It's interesting that you say absolute truth. And this absolute trust brings me back to that conquest. Now I'm stuck on this like conquistador idea <laughs> with this phrase. Absolute trust keeps me going in the right direction, right? He's, I believe I'm going to get to that city of gold. And then any intrusion is met with a heart full of the good thing. Those people who are so lost on their mission right so lost on that final goal whatever it is intrusions they just brush them aside it's you know it's that that blinder vision that you're stuck focused on your goal and even signs that it may not be happening or it may not be what you think it is 
you ignore them because your heart is full of the good thing. You know, like what we do with the news, we only focus on the news that agrees with things we're saying because we're almost blocked out by um, our beliefs. My heart is telling me I'm still doing the right thing. I've put this much effort into it. I can't change that now. But the word absolute to me is almost a dangerous word. And as people who enjoy and actively study science, absolute truths are something to be wary of and something to you know, be aware of. Um, absolute truth has really gotten a lot of humans into a lot of trouble in the past. And it just struck me in that absolute truth is the thing that goes in the right direction. I thought of faith and radical hope. I thought of religion again and that people, especially in a troubling time like the COVID epidemic, there's some sort of plan. We hope that the government has a plan. We hope that if you believe in a God or gods, that God has a plan and will get us through this and will keep us going in the right direction. Just the idea of radical hope is something that I try to have in my life, that humans will figure these troubles out and lead us into a direction of hopefully peace and calmness, or just ultimately reaching the ubermensch status that Nietzsche says, or nirvana in Buddhism. Yeah. So you got, because on my lyrics, it says absolute trust, but I think everything you said still counts for trust. Even it's almost more appropriate when we look at the word as trust, right? Because it's not absolute truth. It's absolute trust in, in what you believe is to be absolute truths. And I think that's what a lot of people who are religious or in philosophy address things about. So, yeah. So continuing on to the, to the verse, what they do again is do that step up. So we started in G, we go back to G, and then we do a step up to A, to C, to D, to F, to A, to C, to D, to F in that chorus with the inverted D7 chord. And then we go back to G, but since we ended on F in the chorus, we're going again just one step up from F to G. So they do it again. Instead of having this typical progression of G to D to G, we've gone from G to A, and then we ended on A, gone from A to G. So again, just this minor step up that makes sense, but feels a little bit off to a typical pop song that's trying to sell records in you know, 1978. And maybe to just take a brief diatribe of where we are in the talking heads world in the world of music uh we're in 1978 this is the talking heads second album they've really established themselves in 1977 playing at cbgb's opening up for bands but then forging their own career and in a world that was dominated by a lot of classic rock with new rave being so new true to the name in 1977 it seems like it's really found a home in 1978 when they're releasing their sophomore effort because New Wave is really coming to the forefront now. In this year, we had Television's 1978 album, Adventure, which is definitely a less punky album and more melodic, like the Talking Heads find in this album. Blondie has Parallel Lines, which is a meteoric rise to the forefront of music for, for the band Blondie. The Cars released their freshman effort, The Cars. And New Wave has now grounded itself in some of the best musicians of all time, 1978 really seems to be not the birth, but the solidification of new wave in the forefront of popular music with some of the greatest albums of all time being released. And it's almost like this album seems to be not at the forefront of the Talking Heads successful albums. I think in terms of sales, this, this album did great, but comparing it to 77 or Remain in Light or Speaking in Tongues, this album seems to be forgotten. And we talked a little bit last week about 77, how it was an amazing year for music and talking heads are doing completely something completely new. And now 78, 
the wave is still starting to catch on and they're still inventing stuff. They're still doing some amazing things. I know but, in, in terms of their most popular pretty much release ever, which is the, the concert movie, Stop Making Sense, there's two songs off this album on that concert, which is Thank You For Sending Me An Angel and then followed by Found A Job, which is the third and fourth songs in those sets in that movie where the band is introduced. It starts with David Byrne, then it goes to Tina, and then Chris France comes out for Thank You For Sending Me An Angel, and then Harrison comes out for Found A Job. And now the talking heads have been completed physically on stage, but it's almost like they've completed themselves and solidified themselves as a band with this album, with those two songs. It's very interesting how they decided that in, in that live action performance. So many songs on here. Big Country, Take Me to the River, their cover of that. Oh yeah, the Take album. Me to the River is definitely their biggest song. off. The, I think that was like their most successful song up until that point. That was like mm -hmm. the first time they really charted. So that's a great year for the talking heads. Yeah. And now second album going to the second verse. We have some more, you know, enigmatic lyrics that resonated with me, Kevin. And I'd like your opinion as Devin to see, uh, see what you think about them. So try to compare what I am presenting. You will meet with much frustration. So try to compare what I am presenting. You will meet with much frustration. We've introduced a second character. We're no longer in this person's mind in the second verse. We're now trying to communicate with someone else, the you. And this person, you will meet with much frustration. These things that I'm trying to compare and present. Try to find similar situation. You will find the same solution. And what sucked to me, this is probably the most Kevin verse in the song because <laughs> I always find myself having these weird thoughts, trying to make obtuse metaphors or finding what David says, a similar situation to get others to understand what's in my brain. I've been battling my own understanding in my brain and I'm trying to meet up with someone else's brain and, and help them understand what I'm saying just so I can understand what they understand about my own thoughts. And I'm getting worked up here, but it just makes me feel very vindicated when I read these lyrics because it's almost like what music is all about is having these thoughts and trying to display them. What the talking heads did is make it into music. What we're doing right now is making them into spoken word and communication. Do you ever have that experience where you're really trying to present something and compare something for someone to understand just to be met with frustration from the counterpart? Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting too, because he's using this language, right? Try to compare what I am presenting. It's almost like you're trying to say, listen to what I'm saying. Like someone's just yeah. not getting it. And he's, it's not proper grammar, but that's how you talk to someone when you're trying to convey something. I mean, it happens all the time with me because I say a lot of dumb stuff that makes no sense. But, <laughs> but <laughs> something interesting about it too, going back to the idea of philosophy, right? And talking about this history of philosophy and going from the mind to leaving the mind. Now you're trying to connect with someone else. I mean, that's a big question in philosophy too. It goes back to Descartes. That's what originally starts the whole mind-body problem is he says, what I am, I am a thinking thing, right? The only thing that he can prove to exist is his mind. He looks outside the window, he sees the people out there and he says, what's to say they aren't just all robots, right? What's to say they have their own minds? What's to they, say they exist out of me? How do I ever get to that? Gets to almost solipsism with philosophy, right? The idea that the self is the only thing that can exist or be understood. We've dealt with the mind-body dualism and now we're trying to get on to, okay, how do we exist in the world with others? 
How does our existence compare to others? And how do we have a mind? How do we share that with others? Share it with someone who also has just as complex life as us, which I exactly. think is Sonder, the, the realization that everyone else has a complex life, that everyone else is dealing with their own heart and understanding. And really only having the absolute truth or the absolute trust that you're a thinking thing that exists in the world, hopefully someone else understands as well. You bring up the idea of Descartes and not being 100% sure that everyone else exists because you can only prove that you do. And this song, oddly enough, as many things do, made me think of a few SpongeBob quotes. That one is where SpongeBob sees the robot movie and thinks everyone is a robot and has no way to prove that he is and thinks Mr. Krabs is a robot and asks Gary, if you were a robot, you'd tell me, right? And (laughs) it's just so funny. Another line that I thought of SpongeBob was, the inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. I feel like that fit right in in this song. Maybe the the syllables wouldn't work, but I feel like David Byrne would be able to rearrange those vowel sounds and uh, sentence structure to get them in there. The inner machinations of my mind are such an enigma. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, let's save that for the recording session. We got out to that. (laughs) That's pretty good. We've now, we've now infringed two copyrights, David Byrne and Spongebob. We apologize <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> and I'm happy that Spongebob has been joined with the ranks of Buddha, Nietzsche, and Descartes, because I think yeah. those four are the big four, right? That's the Fab Four. That's the nickname of those four people. <laughs> and a little exercise right. I did, I sent out a survey to friends over text, and I said, hey, can you finish this sentence? Well, the good thing is, And a lot of people said, I'm spending time with my family. I have time to do the things that I want to do. I'm safe. I'm healthy. And my friend Kyle, shout out Kyle, said, at least I'm safe inside my mind. And (laughs) I feel the same way. You know, my mind is healthy. I'm trying to keep it busy. And when the world seems wild and uncertain, I can keep myself infinitely entertained as long as the weather is good up there. But if it's bad, I'm... I have this infinite capability in my brain to stay in there forever. If Devin, the mind weatherman, is giving a, a nice, beautiful forecast, I'm safe in there, and I can really recede in there as much as I want. Yeah, I mean, that was my major interpretation of the song, right? Is that someone escaping inside of their mind, at least I'm safe inside of my mind. There's so much hidden philosophy and psychology in SpongeBob. Maybe we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll work hard in the future to continue the SpongeBob references as much as possible. Please do. So we got two more parts of the song. So it's an A, B, A, B, C song structure. We have A, verse, B, chorus, A, back to the verse, B to chorus two, where he says, as the heart finds the good thing, the feeling is multiplied. Bringing in a little math here. And he does it even more. Add the will to the strength, and it equals conviction. I mean, the beauty of that line. I mean, how do you make that funky? How is that new wave? I mean, I think that's just great. Add the will to the strength, and it equals conviction. What a beautiful math uh, equation there. It's interesting, again, that dichotomy, right, between rationality, multiplication equal math is very rational, and the heart, the body, passion, and combining those two things. And it's also that idea, I think, again, of getting lost in our passions, right? Getting so caught up in what we're doing that we're missing the rationality. We're not seeing the reality of the situation, and we're totally just invested in what we think is right. What we think is right. And having absolute trust almost in ourselves and the people around us to get get us through it. And something that's been called into question recently is the functionality of capitalism. Yeah, I'm going to go there. The functionality of capitalism in this world where things and the markets aren't going well and we're trying to help the person, the individual, 
the individuals who are sick, the individuals who are helping them within a system that is struggling, you know, record job losses, record market losses. This song was released in 1978, but still relevant now, especially the lyric. And this is the one I had circled in big, uh, bold strokes. As we economize, efficiency is multiplied. First thing that pops out of me is the first use of the pronoun we. So we've started with just one person, I. Then we've introduced the you in the last verse. And now we're talking about we economize. Efficiency is multiplied. To the extent I am determined, the result is the good thing. And in these words that seem so personal, this last part of the second chorus, keep in mind this is a chorus. This is the catchy part of the song. As we economize, efficiency is multiplied. To the extent I am determined, the result is the good thing. It's such an automaton, almost I felt like hyper-capitalistic approach to the song. Do you also hear that or am I looking too much into it? I'm not going to spoil anything. So I'm going to wait till we get to the end. But, you know, on that same thing, what does the song end with? Watch me work. Watch me work. Ha ha ha. Watch me work. Obsession with work. So mm-hmm. definitely, I think there's definitely these undertones of capitalism, of work, and of obsession with efficiency. To the extent that I am determined, the result is the good thing. You can read that one of two ways. In isolation, I would think of almost determinism, right? That the universe is already set out for us. God has determined our way, so that'll reach us to the good thing. In this case, though, when we take it in the context of these lines, to the extent I am determined, determined as in motivated, determined to get the job done. Yeah, it's, it's very American dream. You know, there's a, there's a simple path to happiness. It's performing your part in the economy, getting the white picket fence, a spouse and two and a half kids and a dog. Like that's the way to the good thing. And if we do this, efficiency is multiplied and it'll be determined that the result is the good thing. Capitalism will work in a vacuum if we all proceed to that straight line mentioned earlier to the good thing. But it's almost contradicted by the first half of the chorus where he talks about his heart finding the good thing and feeling and will and strength and conviction. All these things are part of the American dream and the ideal American worker and person. And we've seemed to go really far away from Buddhism and Nietzsche, but they're still quite relevant. But it seems like we've gotten very impersonal in this last chorus before we go into this bridge and solo. But what is the good thing? The good thing seems to be work, seems to be efficiency, not things we would traditionally associate with the good thing. Yeah, so to get to the good thing, hopefully we're towards the end of the song. We're at the last three lines, followed by a jam funk session. And the lines are, so I say, I have adopted and made it my own. Cut back the weakness, reinforce what is strong. Watch me work. Watch me work. Uh, forever and ever until the song ends after kind of like a found a job-esque jam session funk riff until the end and I think these are three of the most profound lyrics in the song which is I have adopted and made it my own which I think is we've talked about so many ideologies and famous individuals and thinkers and what are we but people who have listened to these things adopted them made it our own and now we're making our own thoughts and conversation now to hopefully find some sort of good thing at the end of this podcast, at the end of this conversation. I just find that very profound because it, it's, it's so human. After a pretty impersonal chorus too, we've had, I think, the most human line. And it's like almost the epitomized human experience is that we take these experiences and make them their own in hopes of finding some sort of good at the end. Yeah. and But yet at the same time, I think there's still this 
sinisterness going through it. I have adopted this and made it my own. Could be very beautiful if we're talking, I mean, we took it this in a different way. We talked about philosophies and ideologies and nirvana, but look how he ends it. Watch me work, watch me work. What if the only thing he's talking about adopting is this determinism, this efficiency, right? Economization. We bring in the ideals of what we think the good thing should be, but the good thing is something different here. Going back to the music theory, we've modulated to a pretty odd chord progression, which is G minor, tonic of the whole song, but made it minor. The minor chords are typically the sadder variants of the chord. And we go from G minor to F, to G minor to F, back and forth, back and forth, ad infinitum, forever and ever until the song ends and fades out. It's almost like we work for the rest of our lives in between these kind of closely related chords of F and G minor. There's not much room there. But we jam our life away saying, watch me work, watch me work, and then fade away into obscurity. Is that the sad ending of this song and human existence? I hope not. I think we should get to this quote by David Byrne on the song now, because I Let's think that's it. gonna, I've been smiling and smirking the whole time with everything <laughs> that you've just been saying. And also like that you've been saying the song is very American, right? The American dream, capitalism. So after I did my, did my own interpretation of the song, I looked up some other possible interpretations of it. And on songmeanings.com, someone commented, you can find an interview with David Byrne, an AV club, where he says, he says that the good thing was an attempt by me. This was an instruction to myself. Write a song that sounds like a bad English translation of a red Chinese anthem. Wow. That's what the song was meant to be. Sometimes I'd get those pamphlets like Mao and art and literature, and they had this weird filtered language that I love because it has this approach to English that wasn't quite Japanese, mangling of product names or catchphrases, but something close to that. I found that very poetic and appropriate. You could write something in that style, in the style of bad translation. They don't do that so much anymore. So now it all starts to make sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing, the bad grammar and stuff like that, but also this idea of, Look how the song ends. Watch me work. Watch me work. We talked about it. This person almost going insane with work. These ideas of economizing, efficiency, conviction, all words we'd associate with communist China. And you can see it throughout the song. It was amazing. I mean, that's what it is. He's right. It's like a, a red book. He's saying, look at this pamphlet. I will fight. We'll fight with my heart. We looked at it originally as passion, as emotion. No, no, no. This is about working for the state, serving the state, working as hard as you can. It's the good thing. The good thing is aligning yourself with the state. This happy, fun song with the sinisterness that runs through it. And when you find out um, David Byrne and talking heads intention with it, it has a whole new meaning. I don't know. It's just really that's, cool. That's truly fascinating because as Americans, we've mm -hmm. come up thinking that America and capitalism is the antithesis to communism and the red great state. But it's so odd that I and you interpreted a little bit of this song as the American dream and how we feel like that's so separate and so individualistic, but kind of came to the same ending that you're almost selling your emotions and soul to become an economized, efficient automaton that works for the state, but seems to be having a pretty good fun doing it with that last funky jam at the end. But that's absolutely fascinating. What a twist at the end. Thank you for what introducing that. And the idea that he was like, oh, I'm going to make this badly translated. What an attempt by, by David Byrne to make something that sounds badly translated, which is to the extent that I am determined the result is the good thing, or as we economize, efficiency is multiplied. At first I thought like, wow, what profound lyrics. So 
integral, but now that I'm rereading them, they don't really make sense. You kept bringing up, you've been hinting at this. You've been waiting for me to it's say so this exciting. because you never really see lyrics with commas in them, but there's a few in these, which is skill overcomes, comma, unfavorable condition. As we economize, comma, efficiency is multiplied. It's almost like 1984 quick things that stick in your head, almost orders that you can kind of drill into your brain. And as you're working this sluggish job and everyone's watching you work, you're like, Okay, I understand. I'm working towards the good thing. As we economize, efficiency is multiplied. As we economize, efficiency is multiplied. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll walk the straight path to the good thing. Absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Really good. (laughs) Isn't that cool? I mean, it goes back to that question, you know, you asked in the beginning is like, can we separate the lyrics from the music? I think that's an amazing thing that David Byrne does or the Talking Heads do is they take the lyrics of the song, right? And they mask them within the music because you listen to the music of that song. And it's very happy. Almost all the songs are very happy. They're very upbeat. And behind it, though, is this idea of communist China, giving up your entire life to working, serving the government, serving the nation, giving up your existence. Like you said, the back and forth of those two chords going off to infinity with watch me work, watch me work. And I think it's interesting here, at least on my lyrics, one of the last watch me works, he says, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) <laughs> which is almost like someone going insane, right? They're like, oh my God, watch me work, ha, 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 laughing maniacally. The big thing for me the first time I listened to it is there's something sinister about this song, right? Yeah. It's a happy song, a fun song, but there's something underneath it. And when I read that uh, quote by Byrne, it totally made sense. And I think sinisterness comes from someone in power knowing something that you don't to try to fool you. And that's exactly what he did to at least me, maybe all of his listeners for this song, is that he knew something and he kind of hints at it in that he says, I have found the line and its direction is known to me. He doesn't even share it. He doesn't tell us what the good thing is, but he knows and he knows how to get there. And I think that's sinister, right? Like he knew this thing and he had to share it in an interview that ultimately got back to us for us to understand it. I mean, that's maniacal but I love yeah. him for it even more. And maybe I've been propagated Amazing. into talking heads love that I will serve <laughs> the state of talking heads, but <laughs> there you, go. you know, watch me work on that one. I'm, I'm good on that. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's the song we did. We completed the song is an A B A B C format. We're not going back to the verse. We're not going back to the good thing. The good thing isn't even mentioned in that last C part of the song, the last outro. He's just working and that's it. Final thoughts is I'm blown away. I've been propagated by all sorts of forces in my life, but I'm happy that I still feel vindicated in a way that it really still tells of the human experience a lot. You know, parts of it are impersonal, but a lot of life is that. And, and trying to balance these hyperlogical systematic things with the stuff that's happening in your brain. And at the end of the day, it feels like all you really have is yourself and maybe the one other person that you're trying to interpret these things in your mind with. For In this situation, it's me and you. And I'm happy that you helped me understand these things that I was grappling with when I was listening and, and hearing a song. I'm satisfied with the song. And then now, like all Talking Head songs, I've learned more things about it. And I can just go back again and learn and love the song even more next time I listen. It's a yeah. totally different experience now. Um, Yeah, some final words on the song, right? The good thing from the point of the song is working, right? It's that communist idea. But at the same time, look, we analyzed the song from a blank canvas and we found all of this good in it, right? We went through the history of philosophy. We found all these different ways to make meaning. Yes, the artist may have meant one thing, whether it be the 
communist dictator telling you what you need to write or the philosopher, but we have the freedom. We have the ability to interpret it in whatever way we want to give meaning to it. Although the good thing may be, be determined for us in the song, we're able to determine for ourselves what we want to take out of it, the important parts for us. We're not trapped within those ideals. You don't just have to be that weatherman telling that beautiful 70 degree <laughs> clear day every day of the mind, but you put the meaning to it. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's what we should take from the song is that, or at least from our conversation from it, that you give meaning to things. It's cool. You find the lyrics, you find the, the meaning. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think we can leave on that, right? That's the full circle moment that we've been looking for. That's cool, man. All right, Kevin, cool stuff. Thanks, man. I think that's a good place to close things off. So until next time, stay hungry. Stay hungry. This has been Devin and Kevin. Stop making sense. We'll see you next time. Stop making sense.